On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So I'm recording this, of course, at the last minute, because I always do the intro at the last minute. Um, I just got back from vacation, so we've been gone for four days. Um, we were just here in Florida. We, we went about four hours from our house and rented a house with a pool, and we had an actually relaxing time. Like, I can't remember being on a relaxing, you know, holiday or vacation really since I had my kids. I feel like it's always trips where we're on and off planes. And I always had the extra thing of, you know, lugging my CPAP through airports and all that kind of thing. But we just drove there and same time zone. And I really had a relaxing time. I read my book. I went swimming really can't complain. So wherever you are, whether it's summer or not with you, I hope you get a break like that because it just really does you so much good. I think that you forget when you're just in the same routine for a long time how much we need breaks and just a break from your normal routine seems to do wonders or it does for me. So today's episode is my conversation with Dr. Sarah Silverman. Sarah is a behavioral sleep medicine specialist. So I think oftentimes we think about clinical psychologists um, and sleep as being all to do with CBTI, so cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. And certainly we've had um, Dr. Shelby Harris was on the podcast a while ago talking about CBTI and how people with um obstructive sleep apnea oftentimes also have co-occurring insomnia and how that can be treated with CBTI um, along with whatever treatment you're doing for sleep apnea. So I was really interested to um, talk to um, Dr. Silverman because she um, also uses behavioral sleep medicine in um, helping people to adapt to their CPAP mask. So a lot of people have trouble with that initial getting used to having something on their face. And she uses um, behavioral sleep medicine techniques to help people adjust to that. So I thought that was super interesting. That was really why I was excited to interview her. So a little bit about um, Dr. Silverman. She trained initially at the University of Miami and 
she says licensed psychologist in Florida and New York. Um, she's a former Stanford Sleep Medicine Clinical Fellow. She's also the former director of the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Program at Montefiore Medical Center, um, which is in New York City. And she's also the former director of Behavioral Sleep Medicine at Tampa General Hospital. If you're interested in the upcoming course that Dr. Sarah talked about on this episode, using behavioral sleep medicine to help you adjust to CPAP, um, there is a link in the show notes where you can sign up for the waitlist for that course. So you might want to do that. There's also a PDF that um, Dr. Silverman shared with me. I'm going to be sending it out to my email list. It goes over sort of the process of how to move through these steps to help you adapt to your CPAP mask. So if you're not already on my email list, that will be going out to my email list shortly. So go to sleepapneastories.com and you can scroll to the very bottom and pop your email in there and you can get that PDF. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Sarah Silver. So welcome. <laughs> Thank it's you. so nice to meet you, Dr. Sarah Silverman, in person. So, so good to meet you, Emma. Thank you. For my pleasure. So I'm going to start for the audience because they're going to be like, why isn't she asking if you're related to Sarah Silverman, the comedian? <laughs> and I'm not going to ask that because I know that you're not because yeah. I follow you on Instagram and you've already addressed it. <laughs> so that's kind of hilarious though you must get that all the time all the time and people actually ask to see my id as well they don't believe me oh my gosh not related did you want to just start by telling everybody a little bit about your background and a bit about how you got into the whole sleep thing absolutely absolutely i'd love to so I am a clinical health psychologist by training, but I specialize in behavioral sleep medicine, which is kind of an umbrella term for really intervening in terms of sleep disorders from a non-medication perspective. So kind of bridging the gap between psychological factors, behavioral factors, um, really this kind of combination of areas in someone's life that may be impacting their sleep. And I would say in a nutshell, what I try to do, you know, if, if folks are on board is to get people off of their sleep medications. That's one of the biggest things that I do. But I also these days really see pretty much any sleep disorder um, where there's something that can be cleaned up or if there's something that somebody wants to improve from more of a non-medication side. So I'm always looking for things, whether it's behavioral or um, if changing mindset, changing thoughts about sleep, looking for non-medication, so drug-free approaches to really help someone sleep better. So is the main thing you do the kind of behavior therapy or is it outside of that as well? Because I, I hear a lot about CBTI and I don't know whether that's exactly what you do or if it's more than that. Or Yeah, so so cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia or CBTI is my primary specialty. So I do see a lot of folks who have chronic insomnia, um, but I also see folks who have sleep apnea and 
that is also oftentimes uh, coinciding with insomnia. There are a lot of folks who have both. I also see folks who have chronic nightmares and restless leg syndrome, um, periodic limb movement disorder, or, you know, some other rare sleep disorders or other parasomnias like sleepwalking and sleep eating and things like that. Mm, Uh, Hypersomnia as well. And even though CBTI is the first line treatment for insomnia, we actually now use CBT for other sleep disorders as well, because it's been shown to be so effective for insomnia. So for a lot of other sleep disorders, I use the principles of CBT to really help improve sleep quality. And really just, you know, for for folks with sleep apnea, oftentimes it's getting them feeling more comfortable using their CPAP, or sometimes it's getting more comfortable with our oral appliance, you know, we're going to get all into that in a minute. Um, so for people like I did a cognitive behavior therapy course way back in the day mainly for anxiety as a way to kind of manage anxious thoughts but for people who have never heard of this before like can you just kind of explain what kind of things you're doing what do people learn like what are the skills that you teach them specifically around like insomnia or a sleep disorder like I think sometimes people have a difficult time like understanding what cognitive behavior therapy is at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And, and I love this because there are a lot of um, misconceptions about CBT or I'll often get asked like, what is CBT? I keep hearing this acronym. Yeah. What, does, what does it actually mean? So cognitive behavior therapy is also this umbrella term. And In a nutshell, CBT is this idea that the mind and body are connected. So your thoughts influence your behaviors and they influence your emotions. Everything is connected, which is very different from, say, kind of traditional Western medicine, where you go to a different doctor for every different body part. And that's part of our problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And so this thinks of you as this whole person, everything being connected. So your thoughts are going to influence your behaviors, also going to influence how your body responds, and then in turn influences your emotions. So essentially what you think and do affects the way that you feel. So CBT as kind of a foundation treatment explores all of these different areas and how they influence each other. So there are CBT for anxiety specialists or CBT for depression specialists. You know, in my case, CBT for insomnia, CBT for CPAP adherence. Um, And so it's applying the foundation of CBT and exploring that mind-body connection and really applying it towards the presenting concern or presenting problem. I think that before I did a CBT course, like I had never considered that like your thoughts aren't necessarily, are usually not facts, right? Like I think that it's the first time that I ever really had any space between I just thought that thing that's super catastrophizing like oh what all these things happen um but it gave me kind of the space to be able to actually evaluate and say that's what I just thought I don't necessarily have to accept what I just thought as being true so it's a really helpful um tool I think for a lot of people 
Um, so let's get on to the CPAP. Like, this is brand new to me. So we had Shelby Harris come on a while ago, and we talked a lot about the fact that insomnia and sleep apnea can coexist together. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have a chance to get into this whole thing about, like, using CBT almost to, like, um, I, I don't know if you'd say desensitize people to their yeah. mask and the problems they're having. Mm-hmm. So do you want to maybe get into a little bit about that and how you work with people around that? Because that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's actually one of my favorite things to do because I think a lot of folks get prescribed a CPAP and they're told, here you go, now go use it. And they're not really given much else. Or sometimes sleep doctors will leave it up to the DME companies, and then they might not even really provide much education about how to use their CPAP. Yeah, there's often this thing where I think everybody thinks that the other person's doing it, like educating yeah. the patient, and actually oftentimes nobody is. <laughs> yeah, yes. And so oftentimes when folks come to me, you know, they're they're usually referred by their doctors because they haven't been wearing their CPAP. And they need to be in order for insurance to keep paying for it. Um, So that's often a big motivator. But in general, you know, my goal is to really help folks get desensitized to their mask and to be able to use their machine so that they can keep their machine for insurance requirements and really, of course, for optimal health. health. (laughs) Um, So I would say there's also a misconception about say sleep psychologists or insomnia specialists, that maybe that's all they do is CBT for insomnia. For someone who is say a behavioral sleep medicine specialist or a BSM psychologist, they often do provide this treatment as well. It's just not as widely talked about. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I even have to remind the sleep doctors like, hey, you know, I can help your patients who are struggling with their machines. They often just think about insomnia, which of course is still incredibly important, but you know, this is something that I think so many folks can benefit from. It's learning a new set of skills. But ultimately, you know, if we think about using CVT for CPAP use, it involves that underlying foundation so that the mind and body is connected. And it also involves an exposure uh, hierarchy. So I'll get into that a little Mm. bit more. So it actually stems from kind of this fear avoidance model where you actually gradually expose yourself to the mask, to wearing the headgear and then, you know, plugging in the machine and being able to tolerate the pressure over time. And that's done in very Mm. incremental steps. So it's a step-by-step process that I walk folks through and you can think about this in the same way that you might think about like someone who has a, a phobia, like they're afraid of flying or they're afraid of being in an elevator. This type of exposure therapy actually stems from some of that work. Mm. So in, instead of, of course, being exposed to those types of phobias, the goal is to be exposed to the mask, the mm. machine, which becomes a fear for a lot of oh, folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone in coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma. So I think I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, I mean, I've I've certainly heard from a lot of people who they have um, you know, like anxious feelings around having their mask on their face, which is quite normal to begin with. If you haven't been used to having something on your face, it's quite a lot to get used to. And then also I think a lot of people, there's the like some sort of claustrophobia feelings all of that but then there's also this thing of like you were saying compliance and insurance where people put pressure on themselves I've got to sleep with this for this many hours you know at least because otherwise my CPAP will be taken away and I will have failed it you know and like it's important for my health and so I think that that can be a big part of it it's just you know so much pressure surrounding it I absolutely I completely agree with you and and there is so much pressure to have to use this machine right away when you know it's almost for for a lot of folks it's this foreign device that you have to get used to wearing it's not as easy as just putting it on and sleeping with it and sure there are a handful of folks where that might be the case but I'd say the vast majority of people it is not that way, it actually does take quite a bit of an adjustment process. And at least for the, the folks that I work with, usually that adjustment process, like on average, is three to six months, give or take, sometimes much longer than that. You know, and I, work- I think for anybody listening who is starting out on this whole CPAP thing, they're surprised to hear that. Like I think, I think people are sitting at home thinking. I'm the only person dealing with this. And, you know, people will say to me, I've had my CPAP for a week and I'm still taking my mask on and off at night. Like, is that normal? And I, I'm like, yeah, that's really, really normal. <laughs> like yes. it definitely took me a couple of months to find the right mask for my face, to get used to that whole thing. So I think there is perseverance involved with it for sure. 100%. And I think it's so important to normalize the adjustment process because it isn't something that most doctors are talking about. It takes time to get used to CPAP. And And sometimes having the realistic expectation of how long, you know, a lot of people in the same situation take to adapt, like is actually really helpful. 
Yeah. Yeah. The adjustment process is, I think for most people, incredibly frustrating. And so having someone that can kind of help guide you along the way can be really helpful. Um, I would say just like any other skill, consistent practice is key and everyone's adjustment process is different. So again, I'd say like the length of time to feel comfortable with using the mask on average is at least a couple months, but I've worked with folks where maybe it's been much longer than that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a year to really feel comfortable with it. Yeah. And, you know, I, you may have heard of this analogy, but I like to think about it, like, just like we put on clothes in the morning, you know, we know that we're wearing clothes, but we're not actively thinking about the clothes right. that we're wearing. So you want your mask and using your machine to be this thing that just becomes part of your normal routine yeah, and yeah. you can get there. It just takes some time to slowly build up to tolerating mm-hmm. the mask. And so when you work with people, is it normally um, online or are you working one-on-one with people in person or how do you so do it? I am working one-on-one with folks virtually. So my practice is in Florida, in Florida and New York and New York. That's right. Yeah. So, so, and so if people are looking like, I feel like there aren't as many of like the kind of professionals like you around. So what's the best way for people listening to find somebody in their area? You're right. It is less likely to find someone who really provides this pap exposure uh, therapy. I would say the best place to start would be the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine, which is behavioralsleep.org. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, There's a directory where you can actually search based on your location and you can look and see who has behavioral sleep medicine training. And then within those people, I would say you'll likely have to ask if they provide the service, yeah. um, hopefully, you know, list that on their website and their information. Yeah, um, That's really, I would say the best place to start. Certainly it's also worth, worth asking your sleep doctor or sleep specialist if they know of anyone, but you're right. Um, especially mm-hmm. in Florida here, I don't know of you're it. <laughs> I'm pretty um, sure. Yeah. I mean, of the, those that are, you know, doing sleep or uh, behavioral sleep medicine, I think they're primarily just insomnia. So yes. very hard to come by. So are there, so for people who can't find somebody like you to work with, so, so the people that haven't hit the jackpot and don't live in Florida and New York, are there like particular, like you talked about desensitization. So are there particular things in general people can do to help them get used to them? I know it's not as good as working one-on-one, but are there particular mm. tips? Like, do you advise people kind of starting slowly and building up? Like what, what's the best way for people to go about it? Yeah. I would love to kind of walk you through the hierarchy of steps because uh, I think that that would be incredibly helpful for your listeners because you're yeah right. I get emails all the time from people saying that's all great for people in New York and California but I live in you know fill in the dots it's like Wisconsin or you know like just another state that doesn't happen to have some of the specialists we're talking about mm-hmm. so 
Mm-hmm. I have yeah. no idea what Wisconsin has. They might have a bunch. I just <laughs> pulled that yeah. out of thin air. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it, it does take a little bit of research and, you know, really trying to find these specialists. You know, that's maybe something that we should create is a directory of providers who actually do this so that it's Let's easier. do that. Yeah, so that it's easier to find um, because, yeah, it's, it's really hard to, to come by. So, so yeah, I would say I'm happy to kind of walk you through that. Yeah, that'd be great. So, so really, I should say the kind of uh, overarching term here is this exposure hierarchy. You can think about it as a ladder of steps that you work through in order, in, our, in this case, in order to tolerate using your CPAP for every sleep episode. So that would include your nighttime and then if you take naps during the day. Mm-hmm. So uh, everyone's a little bit different, of course, but the idea is, as you, you know, as you've mentioned, for the folks who feel fear, anxiety, claustrophobia, any type of negative emotion around wearing their CPAP, instead of the mask equaling this frustration, this anxiety, we want the mask to actually become a cue for relaxation. So this hierarchy actually does involve quite a bit of relaxation training. And specifically, I'm, you know, talking diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing, which is very different from the breathing that you and I are probably doing right now, which is often you know, <laughs> short, shallow chest breathing. We all do it. You should see me when I'm interviewing people who do breath work. Like I, I was when I was interviewing like James Nestor and Patrick McEwen, I was like a nervous wreck because I was breathing like <laughs> I'm like my clothes like breathe deeply. But I was like breathing through my chest the whole time. It's crazy. So but yeah, normally we should be breathing using yeah, our diaphragm. Breathing from the diaphragm, which is that big muscle that sits underneath our lungs, you know, breathing from the diaphragm, that the belly breathing is really what promotes more rest and digest. So promotes a parasympathetic response, which is what we want within our mm-hmm. nervous system. So part of this therapy so using cbt but also there's a motivation component so really trying to increase motivation to change and i think for a lot of people you know in terms of getting used to their mask there could be a couple things in the picture one it could be actually feeling that anxiety or claustrophobia with the mask itself like the headgear is eliciting that response or for some people it's actually when they turn it on and the pressure, the pressure. Is yeah. what's causing those negative emotions, or sometimes it's a combination of both. So first I really like to like dive into what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are the barriers to being able to use your mask and being able to use your machine? And once we kind of figure out those barriers, you know, then it's like, okay, well, what are the benefits of changing these barriers and kind of troubleshooting ways to really help get to that point, in addition to learning some of these relaxation techniques. So I always like to start off really simple. Diaphragmatic breathing can be an incredible tool for anyone, not just for folks who are are struggling with their machine. It truly is something that I wish every human can learn because it's, it's so, so vital for 
our nervous system to feel regulated, not only from a sleep perspective, but just for day-to-day life and be able, mm-hmm. being able to manage stress. Um, so in terms of the treatment and kind of this hierarchy, typically, you know, the, the first step, of course, is to kind of figure out what's actually going on. I think it can be helpful to set up your machine and everything earlier in the day so that it's ready to go before bedtime, you know, as best as you can. And I think another big area here is actually getting your partner involved because oftentimes- I think that's huge. Yeah, I think oftentimes like partners maybe don't find the treatment to be important. They don't quite understand why it's important to use. And so I think really- Or the other thing you have is partners who are the ones driving the bus who Mm. made- made their partner go and get tested and all the stuff and they know it's really important for their health so sometimes that can actually be another stress stressor you Mm -hmm. know putting pressure on the person to make it all work out (laughs) you're so right about that and so I think that's such a that's a huge factor in why someone may or may not you know choose to to wear their CPAP or even Mm -hmm. give it a try and you know as part of enhancing motivation to change one of the the two areas that I like to start with is you know how important is this for you to change how important is it for your partner for you to change this or um, kind of exploring how important for overall health that might be and then of Mm. course as also like as a relationship as a kind of couple issue as well and then the other area is like how confident are you that you can make these changes how confident is your partner that you can make these changes and work together as a team to really ensure that you can get to the Mm -hmm. point where you're able to tolerate and use it on a regular basis so there's so many variables involved but I think engaging your partner in these efforts is huge and so oftentimes I I am working with the, the bed partner as well um and I actually I invite them into the sessions because I think that's such a huge part of this um so so I love with- that you do that like I, I think that there's there's so many things that seem really uh common sense that I talk to so many people all the time who haven't really really broached the subject of the fact that they're gonna start wearing this you know apparatus to bed every night and that and what kind of impact that's gonna have on a relationship and that you might want to talk about that absolutely it is a conversation to have. And, you know, I always joke about it. But I'm like, we have to make your CPAP sexy. So how can we, you know, what can we do to get you to that point? And so, yes, involving the partner is. That is- seems like a tall order. I feel I- like um, something like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but we have tuck-in cuddles before. <laughs> CPAP goes on so by the time my CPAP's on it's sleeping time (laughs) but which isn't very spontaneous but I think that whatever works for you know the couple involved is is a good way to go exactly and sometimes you have to get creative with it Uh, but that is a huge piece of this and then in terms of the actual steps to work towards and to be able to get used to your 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 mask I always start off like, and this may seem silly, but start off by suggesting to just wear your headgear 
without the tubing, without it plugged in, just mm-hmm. wear the headgear around the house as much as you can. Um, so just getting comfortable with wearing the headgear. Again, nothing, nothing plugged in, just getting used to that. And then once that becomes comfortable, then you can work towards plugging in the tube. And that's even more silly walking around with the headgear and the tube, right? You have to get creative with that. But you know, again, it goes back to you really want your brain to essentially forget that you're even wearing it. Yeah. So just kind of become one with you. And if you do that for a couple of days, most people end up forgetting that they even have it on. So just kind of wearing it around the house, wearing it, you know, after work, around dinner time, wearing it as much as you can tolerate. And then once you build up to wearing the mask with the tubing, the next step would be to actually plug it in, turn it on, but now maybe just sit and watch TV with it on. Or and don't put it. pressure on yourself to actually sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even before we take it to the bedroom and take it to your actual sleep time, it's actually just getting comfortable with it during the day and you just having it on with things that you're doing during the day. So something sedentary, like watching a good show or reading a good book, just doing something where you can sit, relax with it on. And as you said, no pressure to sleep with it, no pressure to really, you know, have to use it more than just getting comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And the next step would be introducing some relaxation techniques. So just really practicing some deep breathing while it's turned on. And again, you can kind of do this with that sedentary activity, whether it is watching TV. I think that's probably the easiest for for most folks is you're distracted. Um, And then you just find like, oh yeah, I've been wearing this for a while. So sometimes it's starting off five or 10 minutes while watching TV and then working yourself up to say 20, 30 minutes. Um, Sometimes I'll have folks sit there for an hour with it on. So, you know, as much as you can tolerate and as much as you feel comfortable before Mm -hmm. you then proceed to the next step, which would be to try it out during a nap episode. So actually schedule a nap time during the day if you have the opportunity to then use your CPAP. Um, And so that could be even if you don't fall asleep, maybe just resting time to five or 10 minutes while lying down, using your mask, working yourself up to say a full nap time. And, you know, by the way, this isn't something that's happening like every single day. This is probably over the course of several months here. We're splitting Mm -hmm. up these steps. So really incrementally building up the time that you're tolerating at each of these levels So I think one of the things people never um, realize is that for the insurance part of it, they don't, their requirements are usually like over a 24 hour period. So naps count towards that. So I think sometimes it's helpful if people, you know, get used to wearing their mask like outside of the sleeping time and they can rack up like even a few hours doing Mm -hmm. that then nighttime becomes less of a stress like I'm I must sleep the whole night you know yeah that's such a great point you're you're right about that it it all counts so you know building up that time especially for insurance purposes can be helpful while you're working through these steps and just learning how to get used to it and 
taking that pressure off of having to use it for your full nighttime sleep. So, so yeah, I think that that's such a fantastic point. And then as soon as you are feeling comfortable wearing your CPAP during nap time, then the next step would be to introduce it to your actual nighttime sleep. And I think that is often like a big leap for, for folks. So sometimes it's maybe just starting off with an hour and, you know, using it for an hour of working yourself up to, you know, three, four hours, working yourself up to a full night Mm -hmm. that does take time, but ultimately it's just really starting off just getting used to the headgear, then working yourself to plugging it in, sitting with it, then working yourself up to a nap, and then ultimately introducing it into your sleep time. So you have such a nice voice. I like I'm kind of <laughs> Thank you. like want a nap. <laughs> so oh. I can see that you're in the right job. What's your your kind of success rate? Like like there's not gonna be every single person is gonna be able to adapt to CPAP right I just think that would be unrealistic it just is quite a difficult therapy to get used to and I just think sometimes like after people have given it a really thorough try like they've really tried everything for a few months like at what point do people go back to their doctor and say this isn't working yeah of course it 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 does vary on an individual basis Mm -hmm. but I would have to say probably in terms of my success rate, probably about half of folks will be successful and the other half. That's actually kind of amazing to me because by the time somebody's coming to you, they already have the problem. So it's not like you're treating like, you know, the full range of people. You're only, you know, dealing with people who are having a problem with it. So I think that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, certainly that, that's like what I estimate because, you know, I do see folks where they, they really stick with the steps. They're really motivated. They make yeah, it happen. Yeah. And then, you know, I see folks where sure they got some benefit and they learned some relaxation techniques. They, you know, they didn't leave empty handed, so to speak, yeah. but they still really struggle with feeling comfortable with tolerating the mask. And yeah. sometimes we find like, maybe they didn't have the right mask all along you know, there's so many other factors that go into mm-hmm. being able to use your machine. So it's exploring all of these different areas. And um, I think for most people, they do benefit. But of course, there are going to be some folks who I think I think I love the idea of going through something like that, where you feel like you can say, I gave this everything. I've tried everything, right? I, th- I think sometimes, well, a lot of the time, I feel like with CPAP, people tend to just kind of give up too early without really feeling like they gave it a good shot just because they don't like the idea of it or it just seems too hard. But Mm -hmm. I feel like once you've been through a a program like that and you, you can really say, I've tried all these things, you know, like I've given it my absolute best shot. And then the next thing would be to go back to the doctor and be like, what else have you got? (laughs) What are your options? Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes CPAP is also prescribed without talking about other options. Yes. So while of course CPAP is first line treatment, it isn't the only treatment. And sometimes it isn't the best option for you. So 
Well, I mean, I could talk about that for three hours, but (laughs) yeah, that's, that's really, I think a, a really big part of it is communication between doctors and patients. And there are some excellent sleep sleep physicians partly the way that the health system is where if a doctor only really has like 10 minutes or something (laughs) with a patient you know it really does hamper having a lot of communication back and forth and so yeah there, there are definitely some issues around that for sure people are still going to the doctor with insomnia and being prescribed drugs as a first line treatment and so maybe speak a little bit to that and then also just how do people know so if someone has sleep apnea they absolutely can have co-occurring insomnia at the same time I think oftentimes we think I've been diagnosed with sleep apnea so that's why I'm not sleeping well Mm -hmm. so do you want to just go over what to look for like what how would somebody know they had insomnia and should seek some treatment for it Great question. And I would say that was about four questions. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot, definitely a lot to unpack there, but I think it's, it's so, so important to know. And, and sometimes it's hard to know. I think for a lot of folks, it's kind of a chicken or the egg question. Um, you know, having sleep apnea, and I find this to be the case for a lot of women, they've likely had undiagnosed sleep apnea for many years and you know their their symptoms look very much like insomnia but we find that you know one of the causal reasons for insomnia was due to sleep apnea So, so I would say one of the biggest signs in terms of recognizing insomnia is worry around sleep sleep anxiety to me is its own beast very different from kind of generalized anxiety. So it's very specific anxiety about how well you might sleep, how many hours of sleep you might get, how well you might function the next day. So there's a lot of distress, not only about how you sleep at night, but also how you feel during the daytime. Got it. So that's a huge piece. And I would say that for most people, that's probably the telltale sign that there's some form of insomnia in the picture is when you start to really worry about being awake, mm-hmm. when you start to worry about your sleep, when you start to worry about how you feel during the day. And ultimately, a lot of the symptoms do actually overlap, like not getting restful or yeah. restorative sleep. That's common in both. It could also be both difficulty falling and staying asleep. If they for sleep apnea, it's mostly that sleep maintenance that's more pervasive, but they can absolutely overlap and co-occur. So sometimes it's really hard to tease them apart, but I'd say truly for most folks, it often is that anxiety, that stress component when it comes to sleep that can often give us a sign that insomnia may be in the picture. Right on. And so then... Talk a little bit about because I think most people don't know still that CBTI is the first line treatment, yeah. right? Yes. Do you want to yes. Tell us about that. <laughs> I'd love to. CBTI is the first line treatment for chronic insomnia in adults. It is considered the gold standard. So it really should be the first step when you go to your doctor and you tell them, hey, I'm having trouble sleeping it should be the first step, but unfortunately there is a shortage of 
doctors who specialize in this. So that becomes a big problem. A lot of doctors don't know who to refer to, or they don't have someone nearby that they can send you to. So for a lot of folks, they do end up getting prescribed sleep medication as a first line option. But what we know about CBTI, and in a nutshell, it's changing thoughts and behaviors around Mm -hmm. sleep. What we know about CBTI and medication is that CBTI is just as effective as medication in the short term, but even more effective than medication in the long term, because you're learning skills. You're learning very specific skills that are evidence-based that go far beyond sleep hygiene or general sleep advice. And you ultimately learn how to achieve quality sleep without needing to rely on medication. So it actually builds up confidence in your natural sleep ability. So of course I'm biased, but you know, I think really anyone could benefit from some of the techniques because there's so much misinformation about sleep out there and people will read all those sleep hygiene tips and they'll think, Oh, I, you know, I, I already know all that stuff or I'm doing all that stuff. But if you have insomnia, or if you have sleep apnea or another sleep disorder, sometimes those sleep hygiene tips are not going to be enough. So yeah, really like sleep improve. hygiene, that's, I mean, not that there's anything bad about that, but I think for a lot of people who have undiagnosed sleep disorders like sleep apnea, like you can do sleep hygiene all the time and you're still not going to feel better because you have a sleep disorder so I think that sometimes that's a great place to start for a few weeks and then go and see your doctor if you don't if you don't feel better you know yeah I completely agree with you starting with sleep hygiene is is important because those behaviors are important for maintaining good sleep but Mm -hmm. they you can think about it as maintenance they help to maintain good sleep if you already have good sleep But if you have insomnia, if you have sleep apnea, if you have another sleep disorder, you could be doing all of those things and it's likely not going to be enough to really change things or improve things. So yeah, if you try those, those sleep hygiene tips for a couple of weeks and you're not noticing any difference, please speak with your doctor and talk about your options because there are evidence-based techniques that can be incredibly helpful and much more helpful than just sleep hygiene alone. I could not nod more. (laughs) I'm just like, let's keep saying that a lot. (laughs) Um, So tell people about, so I, I, I follow you on Instagram and I've been seeing about, you have a course. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. Sure. So yes, I just recently launched a holistic sleep improvement course called the holistic sleep Academy. And it is designed for folks who have chronic insomnia or chronic um, sleep struggles who really want to learn CBTI techniques. So it's a DIY self-guided course. And it's honestly, I would say it involves pretty much everything that I do in my one-on-one visits, Mm -hmm. but in a simplified way. So it's easy to follow and do on your own. And one of the main reasons for why I created this is because there's just not many sleep psychologists or behavioral sleep medicine specialists to go around. In fact, I recently checked, there's less than 500 in the world. So I know it's to me that that's mind blowing to me. Yeah. So this is, you know, out of my desire to really make CBTI more accessible 
to more people. And so and- that because you're not working one-on-one, people can do this anywhere. Like it doesn't have to be Florida and New York. Doesn't have to be Florida, New York. It is worldwide. Anyone can do this. Anyone can go at their own pace. It's designed to uh, be set up in an eight-week format, but you can take your time and go through it. Mm. Um, so you learn all of the CBTI techniques, and it truly is, you know, another way to work with me, so to speak. But you know, kind of a workaround. Yeah, I, guess. I love that. Um, so tell everybody where they can find that and where they can find you. Yes, yes. So you can find more about the Holistic Sleep Academy on uh, my Instagram. I'm at Dr. Sarah Sleep. I'm also at Dr. Sarah Sleep on most social platforms. So you can feel free to connect with me. I'm most active on Instagram, but you can take your pick in terms of what Are you on TikTok? I am. I'm I'm less Good active on there. It's like a, it's a whole nother world. Um, but yes, it's I, a whole nother world that I made it through about like a week. And then I was like, I don't know about this. So my 15 year old's like so much better than Instagram. And I'm like, I'm going to go back to Instagram. But good for you. That's good. I'll reach more people. Yeah, that that's the goal, you know, to really make evidence based sleep treatments more accessible and yes. to make that's them what we need. Yeah, and and actually, I am working on a self guided course for folks who are having trouble adjusting to their CPAP. (gasps) That was going to be my next suggestion for you. Yeah, yeah. So So, pleased. Yeah, so that is definitely something to stay tuned about. I'll be hopefully launching that maybe summer. Um, Great step by step way to really learn this exposure hierarchy learn some relaxation techniques and just to really get folks feeling more comfortable with using their machine. Yeah, I love that. Well, let me know however I can help. Thank you. you. Uh, Was there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? Oh, we covered a lot of ground. I would say just to reiterate, um, one of the best places to find a behavioral sleep medicine specialist would be the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine that's behavioralsleep.org. Also, the American Academy of Sleep Mes- Medicine is also a great place. They do also have a directory that you can search for a sleep center near you. Um, American Sleep Apnea Association. I know there are a lot of really great organizations. Project Sleep, doing a lot of advocacy work for sleep apnea. All of those resources are amazing. And just know that there are other ways to really be able to get used to your CPAP. Yeah. There are and other- you're not alone is the main you're thing. You're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. There's definitely folks out there who are rooting for you like me. You know, it, it really is. Um, j- just know that you have options and that you're not alone. And there are people who are here to support you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. 
Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes, and I really appreciate it.